Welcome to Crowdfunding Uncut. This is the place where incredible project creators show you how they launch their products online using the world's largest crowdfunding engines, such as Indiegogo and Kickstarter. Hey, thanks for listening. This is episode 36. And if you are a current project creator or you're looking at crowdfunding as a viable way to bring your product online, you should head over to crowdfundinguncut.com where you can download a free case study where with our last campaign, we analyze exactly how we raised $592,000 on Indiegogo. It's called the crowdfunding playbook. And today we're going to be taking a look at one question, which is how big does your email list need to be before you launch a campaign? Now, the interview with Peter Lee, uh, the campaign we're talking about today is Atlas Wearables, and they've raised around 700000 on Indiegogo. And what struck me as really interesting about this conversation is that everyone that I've spoken to to date that has had a large campaign has always sworn by building an email list for at least three months and having thousands of people on the list. But one conversation with Ravian made me realize that, you know, does your list really equate to a lot of backers in the early days? Or is it more the the conversion and the quality of the lead that, that you need to be looking after? And Peter Lee, they didn't do a lot of um, building an email list beforehand in the online sense, but what they did was they went to, like they started as a Techstars accelerator and going to a few conferences and pitch events, they actually built their list up offline And so you can tell that the quality of the lead, because they've had a personal interaction with these people offline prior to launch, actually helped them gain a lot of momentum early on. So we're looking at a different angle today where instead of driving traffic to a landing page to secure 20,000 email addresses, maybe it's just as simple as planning your crowdfunding event three to four months in advance and taking a look at some of the bigger tech events or networking events that you can go to in the city to build your list organically. So Peter, I'm really, really excited to have you on the show today. Thank you. Thank you, Houston. Likewise, really excited to be here. Yeah. So where, where are you right now? I'm in Austin, Texas, and uh, we've been Uh, based out of here for about uh, two and a half years now. Are you originally from Texas? I am not. I'm originally from the New England area. I was born and raised right north of Boston. Ah, and then why did you move? Um, There's a lot of snow up there, but the biggest thing is really we were brought down to Austin by the Techstars Accelerator. Uh, So we got uh, some of our earliest funding uh, down here through Techstars and pretty much moved here and has... We've loved the weather, the types of people, the culture here. Uh, it all seemed to really fit with where we wanted to grow Atlas. Yeah, I get it. I'm in Toronto right now, and I'm pretty jealous that it's probably really warm in Austin. Well, yes, warm-ish um, anyways. So. It's warm. It's like, uh, I think, 65. I'm sitting out front uh, on the front side of our office outside right now. So, <laughs> so I'm really curious. Before we talk crowdfunding... Um, Atlas wristband did not just make itself. Can you tell me about how you, like, how did this idea come about? Like, where did where did it get started? Yeah, it started in um, uh, three and a half years ago, I'd say. Uh, this was sort of right when a lot of the larger um, pedometer-like activity trackers are hitting the market. 
Um, at the time, I'd recently given up uh, swimming. I swam competitively for uh, 10 or 11 years of my life and uh, began to look towards like different types of strength training, other types of physical activity really to, to, to keep, keep my heart rate up. And it was really during that time period where I began to realize the limitations of current products and really thought that there could be more. And it was really sort of luck in terms of stumbling upon uh, a specific type of, of, of machine learning architecture that works for this type of motion classification. And really the breakthrough moment was when we noticed we could tell the difference between normal push-ups and triangle push-ups and a dozen other exercises um, at the time. Uh, we realized we had uh, uh, discovered something pretty awesome. And how did you discover, discover the, that you could track the difference between those? Was this from a tech standpoint or? Mm-hmm. So it was from a... Uh, tech standpoint. So the earliest prototypes was pretty much uh, an Arduino board that was attached to my wrist or my roommate's wrist or anyone I could find's wrist. Uh, and then via uh, like a 60-foot USB cable, we would run to a laptop. And essentially, we would run this in uh, different gyms to build databases as well as to test the uh, technology as it's as it's slowly being developed. Um, and we just said, after, after uh, a lot of work, it... Uh, finally started to bear fruit. And so for the audience that doesn't really know what your wristband is capable of, can you just give me like a 60 second elevator pitch of what exactly Atlas is? Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. Atlas uh, creates our our first product, the Atlas wristband is the first and only true activity tracker. Uh, So, so we, we can do steps, all that sort of stuff. But what's most interesting that we can track 50 plus activities out of the box. So this means you don't have to train it, but the second you open the Atlas wristband packaging, uh, the, the wristband will automatically recognize 50 different uh, strength training related activities. So this includes like barbells, dumbbells, kettlebells, all different types of body weight and calisthenics, as well as different types of suspension training, like uh, using the TRX bands. And what can somebody do with this information that's being collected with the wristband? Mm -hmm. So this is the first time this type of fitness information will be available to anybody. Uh, Historically, the only way to get this is to really manually log every single rep. But what's really fantastic about our technology is that it goes far beyond that. So things like if your reps are too fast or too slow for your specific type of muscle growth, or if you're taking too much rest or not enough rest, We can also analyze what muscle groups you activate to help you identify if you're missing a particular muscle group or if you're straining another particular muscle group. And it really becomes an an extension of uh, an individual's fitness knowledge. So essentially, all you really have to do is go work out and Atlas Wristband will help guide you and analyze your workouts to let you know what you can do uh, to improve. That's fantastic. Before I came across your campaign, I sat in a wearable tech meeting uh, here in Toronto just to see what is coming out. And the only other thing close to what I've seen Atlas do is having clothing with sensors in it that will track muscle movements. And through an app on a phone, it will tell you when you are, when your posture is not great, when you're overarching your back or whenever the the movements are quite right. And Mm -hmm. it's your clothing as opposed to a wristband. But Mm -hmm. See, like a wristband would be so much better because it's your everyday wearable item. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's something we considered very heavily. Hardware, for us, an overall quality product experience is very important to us. So, I mean, we looked into 
different types of e-textile technology, uh, multiple sensors, different types of sensor placements. But what we've realized was that we're able to identify 50 plus uh, closer to 50 plus publicly available exercises. But all of these can be done just from a single wrist-worn device. And that's, excuse me, super important to, to our particular use. Excuse me. Sorry. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, so the sing- a single wrist-worn device for an easy user experience is very important to us. And as you said, uh, it, it be- makes the entire experience much more seamless, where all you have to do is really wear this single wristband. You don't have to wear uh, a whole shirt and pants combination to understand full 3D body motion our single wrist-worn device takes care of it all. Fantastic. So when you got accepted into, it was Techstars. Mm-hmm. Did you already have a working prototype or did you have an idea at this stage and they mm-hmm. helped you launch it? Or uh, we, had a, we had a working prototype. Uh, okay. Nowhere near manufacturer ability, but uh, it, was, it was functional um, and uh, got the job done. Cool. And then how long were you in Techstars for? It was a three-month program. Oh, okay, that's not bad. All right. And what did what was your goal coming into Techstars? So a lot of it was really just building out our, our customer network and also really gaining access to a lot of the quality, top quality mentors uh, available within the Techstars family. And so there's, a, there's a lot that, that we, myself and my co-founder, Michael Kasparian, uh, this, this was a really our first venture-backed um, uh, startup. And and making sure we could get the right resources and access the right uh, talent and experience folk who could help mentor and guide us through uh, this journey was, was very important to us. Yeah, can't agree more. And uh, so you're saying you wanted to, part of your goal was to build out your customer uh, list. Was that so were you selling products or selling this before you went to Indiegogo? Uh, so no, we were not. We were uh, we were collecting a lot of emails, so a lot of a lot of to the uh, Indiegogo Kickstarter presale strategy. A huge component of it is really preparation, having uh, a, a large email list that of, of people who are already interested in the types of products or solutions that you're creating is something I think that is key to a, a successful presale campaign. Yeah, and what was the timeline on that? Like, when did I guess how long before you launched did you start building this list? Probably for nine months. Wow. Okay. And when you don't have a product to show, what are you putting on a landing page? Like, what are you telling people for them to sign up? Yeah. So a lot of it is really the mission of the company. So we did have like a very classic um, landing page. And the big point there was really addressing the salute, addressing the problem that we are solving. Um, so that on its own was was relatively valuable, but what was more important was going to events, going to meetups, going to uh, gyms and interviewing people and really not only, A, understanding what the problem is and what the ideal solution looks like, um, but also really uh, reaching out to explain to people that there, there's these problems. We hear your problems. We feel the same pain points that you're, you're, we're hearing from you, and, and we're, we're going to be solving this really soon. Great. So how much of your mailing list, I mean, did you do any paid ads or anything outside of talking to people to get this email list built? Uh, No, we did not. Cool. I would assume that's for the best because nothing beats creating a campaign than talking to your customers and figuring out what the heck they like. Exactly. And and that's like the biggest thing. I mean, the email is really important. The email list is really important for 
pre-sale campaign, uh, at least the initial traction and, and continued success. But I think uh, what's more important for the business and product development as a whole is really truly understanding what is wrong and how do you fix it. And so when did you finish with Techstars? We finished Techstars uh, Q4 2014. Okay. And then you had about, what, nine months before you launched Indiegogo? Yes. Oh, 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 wait. Q4 2013. I think it was Q4 2013. Time has been flying. Uh, Q4 2013. And then we launched the initial Kickstarter uh, Q1 of 2014. Um, and then uh, have been continuing it since. Okay, great. And you finally shut down in demand just about a week ago. Yep, exactly. We turned off in demand and uh, started to ship all of our units. All of them will be, all of the Indiegogo orders should be shipped by end of next week. Oh, just in time for Christmas. Just That's in awesome. time for Christmas. Yeah, so it's been super important for us, and the team's been working around the clock to get all of the atlases out the door. Good stuff. And so what happened between Techstars and crowdfund? Actually, no, better question. Why did you choose to go the crowdfunding route as opposed to knocking on retailers' doors and trying to push this out yourself? Uh, so a huge part of what Atlas really stands for is, is just the, the data and the ability to track. Uh, but on top of that is really actionable feedback. And, and a huge part about that is limitations in other distribution channels. So for us strategically, uh, and, and for us just sort of really personally, uh, being able to understand who are visiting our site, like what type of messaging resounds the best, um, what types of, of target personas or demographics do, do does our messaging resound with the most uh, is something that is really important to us. And web and digital is something that gives us access to this, where we can, we can monitor uh, the frequency of certain clicks on certain parts of the website, etc. And for us, understanding that at this early stage is, is, is very important. And going to brick and mortar is certainly something that's interesting to us, not really a priority. Um, but uh, the, the extra data and value we get from focusing our time and resources on web and digital is, is, is super important. But, that, but that's not to say that that's the case for all different types of products, right? I think wearables has a slightly more tech-like skew. Uh, so so we do focus on that. Okay, great. So crowdfunding, you just like the real-time data and how it just seemed like a more faster go-to market strategy than the slow burn retail channels. Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah. Yeah, great. So why Indiegogo? When you have Kickstarter, that seems to be the the parent when it comes to tech Mm-hmm. launches. Why did you go Indiegogo? Yeah, um, a lot of it had to do with their speed of, of launching. Um, so we had actually sent it to Kickstarter uh, maybe a month or so before our planned launch date, uh, which was at CES, where we had some uh, different types of events and press lined up. Um, but the problem there, we couldn't get Kickstarter to uh, uh, essentially approve it. We didn't hear back for, for like the first month. And then once we did hear back, it was a couple days before when we needed it on. And the people at Indiegogo and the team there was, were, were very quick and supportive and helped us got the campaign up in like less than a couple of hours. So we were essentially able to turn it on in time for CES 
um, with with uh, with Indiegogo and and the support that you can get from their team is really quite fantastic. Yeah, that has just been a common theme. I, I've never like I have a friend here in Toronto who should have launched two weeks ago, but because of the backlog from from Thanksgiving and yep. Christmas coming up, he his campaign finally got approved like two weeks about a month after he submitted it and it's just mm-hmm. pushed his entire launch strategy, which is crazy because if you launch on Indiegogo, you can press a button and you're live. Yep. Yeah. It's, and just, I, it's crazy. And right? I th- yeah. And I think that's like just a, a huge <laughs> benefit where it, it essentially can, it, they, they help mold around your schedule in order to help make things work. And that's certainly something very important. So if you could do another campaign, would you stick to Indiegogo or would you consider Kickstarter? Uh, I think we would consider both still. I think uh, different types of demographics, different types of people, um, slightly different types of people live on um, both platforms. So certainly would be interesting to do a little more research now and, and to see what would what would be good. Yeah, definitely. So now on your timeline, we have launched and it's the first week. Can you tell me what that first week after you launched looked like? Yeah, um, it looks like a uh, the like a like a little bit like a like a party, a little bit like a, a very busy day at the DMV at the same time. <laughs> so we get a, a, a that's lo- amazing a, a, yeah. a lot of a lot of inbound, a lot of questions, a lot of uh, excited people, and uh, it's uh, it's uh, it's it's a crazy mess, but uh, everyone's very happy and excited. And for your campaign, what was your goal? Uh, I believe our goal was 125k. Okay, and how quickly did you? Because I, I'm sure you know of the golden rule: thirty percent raised within the first seventy-two hours. Mm-hmm. And for that, so how quickly did you hit that mark? I think we hit thirty percent in the uh, first like half day. I think so. We were uh, gaining a lot of traction very, very quickly. Um, and, and we essentially just like, as you had said, we're pretty much just checking off all of the boxes that we could find, um, based off of, uh, for example, like Tim Ferriss had a really good Kickstarter or pre-sale campaign article, um, and many others as well. Um, but yeah, just making sure that we hit our targets when we needed to, in order to help us get the press that we want. Are you talking about the hacking Kickstarter, how to raise a hundred thousand in nine days? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's the one, I think, yeah, 10 days, yeah. but yep. Oh, 10. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> but yes, just, just for the audience, like I found that help, that article ridiculously helpful too. Yeah, that was huge. And, stuff, and so. I would say just do all of that and then some more because I think it's gotten more competitive since. Oh, yeah, definitely has. And so when you hit uh, about 30% of – so about 40000 in the first half day, where did that 40000 come from? Like what – who were those? Who is that audience? So the majority of them came from our uh, compiled email list, um, at least for the for the initial day. So so these are the people who we had met and shared our uh, technology with uh, during the the nine months prior. And once you had those people, did you have a? Like, how did you line up your, your perks packages? Did you do any early bird offers or incentivize it so people got really good deals or whatever? Yep, yeah. So we did a, a couple different perks. We did, like, the first 100 were uh, $100, and that was really the Founders Club. Uh, and then we had different types of pricing tiers uh, going up. 
uh, along the way. And, and it's, it's, there's a lot you can also learn from this, the experience here with these different perks is not only really to sort of gamify your growth, but also to understand uh, what the conversion rate is at different price points to help you understand um, price sensitivity uh, for your product. Um, but also to help you drive to hit certain types of campaign goals. So, for example, if you had, um, uh, I don't remember the specific numbers we had, but if you have like a hundred for a um, hundred dollars, um, that should get you ten thousand dollars really quickly, right? And then if you have another five hundred at, let's say, like a hundred and fifty dollars, that's another seventy-five k that you can get. And if the next one above that is looking like a uh, hundred and eighty dollars, there could be. Uh, a nice push for people to get the purchase the five well, the hundred and fifty dollar perk before it's out, and uh, with the right type of planning, if you have the one hundred and fifty and the on the one hundred units, um, that's eighty five k pretty much there that you can essentially create like an artificial level of scarcity um, with this type of perk or pricing model. Uh, so you're essentially able to essentially hedge as much as your of your bets as possible to help you reach your campaign goal as quickly as possible. Great. So once you've now hit the one twenty five thousand dollar mark, uh, so how long was your campaign originally supposed to be? Did you do thirty days or sixty? We did uh, thirty days originally. Okay. Now, when you hit that original spike. After about a week or a week and a half, your sales will start to go down unless if you keep the momentum going. What are some things, I guess, what was the number one thing that you did really well that kept the sales going throughout the month? One of the big ones was really just continuing to go to events. And I don't know, I guess continuing is not the right word, but really to plan events around or or plan your Indiegogo or pre-sale campaign around outside events. So shortly after we launched, we were a part of the TechCrunch hardware battlefield. Um, a couple days after, we were in the finalist group, so we got another nice bump in press there, as well as bump in visitors. Um, shortly thereafter, um, we also had some additional press and presence at other CES events. Um, and then later, though, in that month, we were also at a couple other different wearable meetups and events. And a lot of that really is just keeping keeping your foot on the gas in terms of getting the word out because it's really up to you like indiegogo and kickstarter are not there to do everything for you uh, but they're there there to help you amplify uh, your work and effort Um, and, and i think that's something that's very important to know and you mentioned that you originally launched during ces correct mm-hmm. yes yeah so ces is an expensive event to go to if you have to fly in, get your ticket, and all that stuff. Um, I have heard that CES, you shouldn't bother to go as a startup founder if you don't have something that's ready to ship. Mm-hmm. What was your experience like with CES since you were just starting your campaign and you hadn't started shipping yet? Yeah, I think we were a little bit luckier where the like the pre-sale world was really uh, just, just and I wouldn't say just getting started, but really beginning to hit its... Uh, get its heyday uh, when we had launched. Um, and, and it was earlier than sort of a lot of the concerns of different types of vaporware coming out, like failed campaigns left and right. Um, so we had a little more uh, leeway, I think, in, in what we could do. Um, but I think certainly today the game has changed a lot more now where um, everything really needs to be buttoned up much better. Like you need to hit your goals faster. You need to get the word out faster. Um, 
But uh, I, I do think that there is benefit to CES, if not just for R&D to understand what the marketplace looks like. Um, but for us, we, again, we were very lucky in terms of, of, of our technology at that point, And today is still unique. Um, everyone else, if you go to CES and check out the wearable space, it's, it's still pedo- 100 different types of pedometers, different types of designs, but they're still just pedometers. So uh, I think it also depends on the types of product and the types of, of, of groundbreaking work that you've done. Um, so it may not, CES may not be for everybody, but I, uh, but I do see a, a, a nice value to it. And going into other events, like if I am a startup founder in Toronto and the only kind of events that I see here are networking groups or tech meetups, mm-hmm. uh, what kind of events did you, so it's not, there are many different kinds of events where you could just go and network in the crowd. It sounds like you were a part of some competitions. Mm-hmm. Like what sort of events would you recommend that founders get involved with? Uh, so, yeah, so that's a, a great question. And I think it's, it's, to approach it earlier on with a broad brush, I think is is good. Um, so I mean, we went to like different like local races, uh, different types of gym opening events, um, and and it's really just look for where you think the people who feel your pain are. Uh, so where are your potential customers? So for us, it's like health club events, health clubs, meetups, races, competitions, like. Uh, fitness events, uh, etc. And that's really where we spent most of our time. Uh, and, and, and I wouldn't really, view, I don't think the right way to view it is to how, how do I build my email address list? It really should be how do I find where are the people who feel my pain? Okay, fantastic. I find that because uh, I've interviewed several campaigns now and it seems like everyone has the same strategies online to keep it going, which can include cross promotion. It can include stretch goals. Mm-hmm. Uh, constantly updating your backers on stuff, but you did a different route, which is emphasis on events. So apart from events, what would be the second thing that you did really well to keep that momentum going? Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's a good question. Um, I mean, I think all, all, all the other things that you had listed are, are also important and not to say that we did not do them, but I, but we, I mean, but we did and did find a lot of value in those strategies as well. Um, but I think like with the pre-sale campaign, the, 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 essentially what you're doing is, is, is testing traction within the market. And, and with that priority, uh, I, like just events and getting the word out is really, really one of the best things you can do. Okay. Just in any way, shape or form. Yeah. Like in any way, shape or form. So, I mean, so I guess even outside events is like, like, like the, the cross promotions are also fantastic. Um, and going to like different types of Facebook communities and uh, digital events are also, are also, uh, very valuable. Oh yeah. What kind of digital events? Mm-hmm. Um, so different types of, so I guess like less sort of point events, they're sort of like, just like, uh, like forums or, places where people talk about different like workout strategies, regimens, diets, etc. Um, being to, able to understand and identify really what an individual who is interested in tracking or an individual who um, isn't interested in tracking because of the limitations of existing technology um, is, is also very important. Um, so like bodybuilding.com, different types of like photocracy or uh, P90X, etc. Awesome. And outside of organically 
growing this, did you do any paid marketing such as PR or Facebook ads? Um, not a lot during the campaign. Um, we did have a focus on PR where that's, uh, one of the best channels to get a huge amplification on your message, especially if you're doing something new and novel. Um, so that was a, a huge driver too, as well. we got a lot of fantastic pieces from fast company, TechCrunch, CNN, etc. And was uh, press something you handled in house or did you work with, with the company to do that? We worked with uh, one of the mentors we met through uh, Techstars was uh, Ben Gaddis at a local creative agency called T3. Uh, we got a lot of help from him and his team there for a lot of our uh, video content and collateral as well as our launch PR. Yeah, I find that PR is one of those things that's nice to outsource if you have the budget for it, just mm-hmm. because an outside party can put a really good story spin on what you're doing and they have... I like to think of PR as you pay them for their contacts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> as well. So is this a relationship business? Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So moving forward then for um, startup founders that want to do a campaign that may be smaller than yours and they don't have a huge budget to work with, what would you say is a conservative budget that somebody should have going into their crowdfunding campaign? Mm, that's a good question. Um, so I think like notwithstanding the like operational cost behind it, like, um, like the, like, like the, um, uh, the budget for like your team, your, uh, your, your, your tech and development of everything you're doing, just cause I think there's just too big of a var- variation there. But I think, I mean, like effectively you could really run your own, Indiegogo pre-sale campaign for like less than $20,000 really. I mean like the biggest investments really would want would probably be uh, the, your, your quality video and any type of PR help you can get. Um, and, and for a period like uh, 30 days, I think you can get them both for less than 10K a piece. Um, so depending on what your goals are, I think the, that's certainly a good place to start. Okay, love it. And with uh, hiring PR companies, do you have any insight with regards to what people should be looking for in a good PR company for a crowdfunding campaign? Uh, I think I think understanding and sort of like the culture fit is very important. Um, working with people that feel the same pain and understand it, I believe, are the types of people who will be able to best convey and even and uh, even improve upon your messaging and your story. Um, so certainly being local, I think is, is, is very helpful and understanding what you're doing and why you're doing it is, is very important. So certainly something that you should, you know, look around, date around before you settle down and pick the right partner for it. Do you think hiring a PR firm that has no experience in crowdfunding is a good idea or would you want to work with someone who is familiar with that space? Mm -hmm. Um, so we worked I believe when we worked with uh, T3, I think we might have been their first um, pre-sale campaign partner. Um, They might have done one or two smaller ones prior. Um, But I I think it sort of depends. Like I don't think like pre-sale is necessarily like totally different from like a normal product launch. Uh, I do think there's like a slightly different twist to it. Um, So I wouldn't say 
pre-sale campaign or Indiegogo Kickstarter campaign experience would be a requirement. Um, and I would, I would just prioritize just familiarity with the uh, industry or familiarity with the types of problem problems you're solving, I think is, I think is more important. Yeah. Well said. I agree. Now, my last question is if you could give one piece of advice to other campaigns that may be launching or other startup founders that are considering crowdfunding, what would that one piece of advice be? Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, under promise and over deliver. <laughs> and then that might be the, the hardest piece of advice to follow just because just when launching, you do feel like you need to sort of promise the world in order to be able to get above the noise. Um, but I think what's what's important is really focus and um, being able to prioritize what's really important and making sure that you do have a good vision in terms of what's around the corner with uh, your product development pathway. Like for example, with us, one of the hu- one of the huge challenges we had is really waterproofing a product, um, and, and we're I'm happy to say we are launching with uh, 30 meters water resistance and and that's something that is really unseen and really unheard of in the wearable space where most products will break once you shower or use soap uh with while you're wearing the product um and and that's something that was was our original goal was 50 meters which while manufacturing we've realized that it's incredibly difficult we hope to achieve that um in the in future iterations of the product um but again i think like under promise over deliver is really one of the best ways to approach this and I think that's so important with the crowdfunding space moving forward because the whole reason crowdfunding exists are because of our backers. And if we keep trying to say we're fulfilling in three months, if in actuality it's not going to happen for a year, that is just shooting all of any future crowdfunding campaigns in the foot. Yeah, yeah. And then there's just some incredible statistics in terms of like the percentage that delay and even the percentage that never get to uh, see the light of day. Um, and they're certainly very, very scary. So uh, definitely do your homework, find the right mentors and find the right resources and of people who've really been there and done that and, and learn from them. Yeah, absolutely. So right now, since you guys have shut down your on-demand Indiegogo campaign, um, when can people start to buy this again? Uh, so they can buy it now, Atlas Wristband now on our website uh, direct and uh, we're shipping all of the Indiegogo units will be out before the end of next week. And then uh, we resume all other pre-orders uh, right after that. So um, you might be cutting it close for Christmas, but it will be there um, early next year. And if uh, we also do provide like Christmas cards as well. Uh, so there is something to put under the tree. Ah, smart. So to say like card would say it's on its way or something. Yeah, Merry Christmas. Exactly. Okay. Okay. I love that. So great. Uh, This interview has been awesome. And I love just getting a different take on a campaign that saw success, not traditionally following, um, like, I don't know, just having more emphasis on events. I think that was the biggest takeaway for me Mm -hmm. as well, because that's something I find that's underutilized. But thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thank you, Kirsten. Really appreciate it. And I hope it was helpful. Yeah, thank you so much. Well, did you find this interview helpful? Why don't you head over to iTunes and hit subscribe and also leave a five-star review for Crowdfunding Uncut. And don't forget to go pick up your free version of Crowdfunding Playbook if you are in the middle of planning your own campaign or just want to learn more about crowdfunding. You can go to crowdfundinguncut.com. I'm Kirsten, and we will see you next time.
Are you launching a product on either Kickstarter or Shopify and you're feeling completely overwhelmed with the process? Hi there, my name is Kirsten, the CEO of Launch and Scale. To date, we've helped several online sellers sell millions of dollars online and scale their business from zero to seven figures by focusing on building an audience of fans that will actually convert into paying customers. If you're serious about building a seven-figure e-commerce brand with less time and less risk, you should check out our product launch pad. PLP is a proven accelerator that takes you step-by-step -step through the process of launching and scaling your product brand. Brands like the Monk Manual, Aberlite, Series Chill, Jamstack, and several others were all launched using our product launch pad. So if you'd like to be our next success story, go to launchandscale.co slash PLP to learn more. And for a limited time, we're offering a seven-day trial of the product launch pad for only $1. Again, go to launchandscale.co slash PLP to learn more.